Good morning, church. It is 8.30 in the morning, and uh, I'm excited to be able to bring you this word, but um, obviously under um, not ideal uh, circumstances, I would have loved to uh, be there in person. But uh, yeah, th this is one that's been on my heart for a long time, especially as we uh, navigate a lot of the current events. Uh, we're going to be studying Ephesians 4. Uh, chapter uh, sorry verses 1 to 6 and we're going to be studying and looking at the idea and the 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 ideal and the direction of unity and uh, the command of unity and the calling to unity that is uh, laid out in the scriptures so question for you can you remember a time in your life when you felt any sort of unity what was that like imagine you know, maybe playing uh, sports or um, being in a group of friends that uh, are on the same wavelength. Or maybe it was a time with your spouse or your parents or um, maybe your coworkers. Maybe you worked really well with, your, with, with the team at work. You know, over the last year and a half as leaders, we have talked and talked and talked about how to address COVID. How we as a church should respond to the virus and other things like lockdowns, the politics, vaccinations, and more. And today we are convinced that the main thing we must focus on is unity. Unity. These days it seems like everything is designed to rip people apart. Institutions, friends, families. I've even heard stories of spouses being ripped in half because uh, of the disagreeing that they that, that's going on. Um, but not just the disagreeing in terms of um, opinions, but also the way that we are going about it. This has even gotten into the church. And uh, I think the church in Corinth was similar, which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Brothers and sisters, I believe that unity at this time uh, and at any other time, forever until Jesus returns, is the chief thing that we ought to fight for. And it, it hasn't always been on my radar, but as uh, times evolve and as we, as we, you know, as we navigate all of the different things and decisions we have to make, and just watching how relationships are going. We are convinced that it is absolutely critical. It's critical because it affects everything. Uh, it affects our, our holiness, uh, our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with one another. It even affects our, uh, uh, it affects the Great Commission. It affects our mission. Um, even when you look into the world, there is a desire for unity. However, the difference between the church and the world is that unity is not just a concept, right? It's it's not even just an ideal, but it is something that we can and must experience today. And so uh, I'm going to read through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. You can open your Bibles to that passage. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read those verses out loud. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And I think we're going to just focus on a couple of ideas that I think will uh, get us started down the right path as we discuss unity. And uh, yeah, I think this is just the start. I think uh, Mike next week will continue on the same topic. So this is just like kind of like a intro. Um, and hopefully we can knock down a couple pins and then Mike can knock down a couple pins next week. 
First, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you would help us to understand your word, that your Holy Spirit at this time would speak to us uh, individually, that you would give us a vision for unity, that you would put it on our hearts more and more so that we can fight for it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eagerness and zeal to pursue unity, that if it was off our radar, that you would put it back onto our radar and, and show us that it ought to be a priority. And I just pray today that you would you would be with us in all of the different houses where we are listening together. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So first, let's look at verses four to six, and we'll answer the question, what is unity? What is unity? And the key word to note in verses four to six that I think explains what unity means is the word one, like the number one. In the word unity, the prefix is the Latin word uni, which literally means one. And some, some examples of words that have that prefix include unit, unison, or union. All of those words have that prefix and show us a little bit more about what unity looks like. And so Ephesians, uh, verses, uh, four, Ephesians 4 verses, uh, verses 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If we were to go back to verse 3, we see that Paul is encouraging the believers in Ephesus to maintain the unit of maintain this unity of the Spirit. And then he appeals to them by referring to seven truths the church ought to agree on. He reminds us of seven big pillars on which the church is built. And this is where we ought to behave as one. And so let's go through each one, one by one. Verse 4 says there is one body. And so we'll just pause there. Uh, the first one is the body of Christ. It's important to remember that we are one interconnected organism with many parts that relies on one another and supports one another. Unlike the world that fixates on the individual, Jesus says that collectively we are one. In the battle for unity, we have to remember who we are as the church. In John chapter 17, which is what many would call the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays that his people would be united. And it sounds a lot like this uh, passage in, in Ephesians. Verse 20 says, uh, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. He prays that um, that they may all be one. So 
and he's praying for us. So in reality, God's people, aka the body of Christ, is, obvi- is obviously one unit, and nothing could ever change that. But what Jesus is praying for is that we would act like we are one, that we would remember that we are one unit, that unity and interconnectedness is not just a concept, it is a reality in which we live. The behaviors and the actions and the attitudes that we have as individuals or as families will affect the local body in which we find ourselves, in this case, Fellowship Oshawa. The actions and the things that we do uh, are not disconnected. They're not divorced from the lives of other people. Everything you do as an individual will affect one another. It will affect your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we have to remember this interconnectedness. We have to remember that there is one body. And obviously Paul is talking about the universal body of Christ. And so you can also say that the actions of one local church have uh, a ripple effect on other local churches. But for the purpose of, uh, of, of, of life and the fact that we are finite and limited beings, uh, this is the purpose of church membership. Uh, we, we have to uh, devote ourselves to one local body uh, where we put the majority of our eggs in that basket and to serve that one body with loyalty and pursuing unity within that one body, using your gifts to serve that one body, using your finances and your skills and um, even your prayers and all that stuff to build up this local body because at the end of the day, we, we have... Uh, 24 hours in a day uh, we you know we only have a limited amount of energy and strength and so we have to be wise about how we do it so uh, Paul reminds us here that uh, that of this massive truth that there is one body the second is uh, the spirit he says there is one spirit and search so church do you realize that the same spirit that dwells in you if you believe in Jesus is the same spirit that dwells in your fellow brothers and sisters at Fellowship Oshawa, that it's the same spirit that dwelt and lived in Paul and Peter, and it's the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. It is by this one spirit that we are empowered to desire and to live out unity. And so uh, Paul is reminding us of that one spirit here, and it is, is, it is crucial that um, the spirit is 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 the one who bonds us together. That's why it's called the the unity of the spirit. Uh, the third one is uh, uh, Paul says that you recall to one hope to the one hope, and so this hope that we have is what helps us to live united, and it, it's what helps us to pull in the same direction. Hope is the direction in which we pull. We pull towards our hope of Jesus' return and our confidence that he will do what he says he would do. It says that this hope that belongs to our call and this hope belongs to our call because it is where we are being beckoned forward daily by the Spirit. And so that hope is kind of like uh, the propelling force that gets us through and helps us to continue to trust the Spirit and trust our Lord, which is number four, our Lord. And so Ephesians says, one Lord. And so this is important to remember, and it's it, to live united is to remember our Lord and Jesus, um, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection is the basis upon which we have been called. And when we are called, we become 
uh, we become his and he becomes our savior and our Lord. And so the, this, this truth of having our one Lord, the one who calls us forward, the one who empowers us, the one who set us free when he died is important. And it is uh, a pillar of our unity. It's a pillar of our unity and uh, a primary issue. Um, if you notice, uh, cults will, uh, often try to downgrade Jesus. They'll say that he was just a man or a good teacher, that he was not God. Um, this is something that is worth fighting for. Uh, the person of Jesus, this, the identity of Christ, uh, this is a primary, this is an essential, this is a, a thing to stand on, this is a thing to die over, this is a hill that is worthy of battles. And so um, Paul reminds us here that we have one Lord. Number five, he reminds us that we have one faith. And so for Jesus to be our Lord, we must continually express trust and confidence in him. Faith and belief is essential to attain and maintain unity, and this is why theology is important. We don't just generally worship God together, but we worship him for very specific and very true reasons. I, I don't think that any one denomination has the exclusive access to the one truth or the one faith. Obviously, this is something that is uh, only uh, can only be given by the spirit. And there are true believers all over the world, but there are truths and then there are lies and uh, there is objective truth and uh, that objective truth is worth pursuing. And so when we see this, this idea of one faith, it's not just uh, the feeling of faith, but it's also reasonable faith. There is uh, truth to pursue. And as Christians, we ought to be truth seekers, people who pursue faith and pursue truth and belief. So that's number five. Number six, it says, one baptism and so i won't get into that too much but that is one allegiance that we have made to our king when we are baptized we are uh going through this uh physical ordinance by which we go uh we go down into the water symbolizing jesus's death and when we rise up from the water we symbolize jesus's resurrection and so when we participate in baptism we are tying our allegiance to him and those actions that he made for us and uh paul is reminding us that we are tied to jesus through this one uh, act and it, it's beautiful and so if you've never been baptized i would encourage you to do that if you believe in jesus and the last one is number seven number seven is our father it says that in verse six that we have one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all all through the book of Matthew, we've been seeing Jesus point us to our Father in heaven over and over and over again. Every time we worship together, together, every time we serve together, every time we do life together, every time we're on mission together, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we worship our Father who is over all and through all and in all. He is the binding glue that makes us one. And so, in summary, these, these are seven things that... That, that bring us together and make us one. The body of Christ, the Holy Spirit, our hope for Jesus' return, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, belief and faith in Jesus, baptism, and our Heavenly Father who adopted us. And those are uh, major pillars. And so unity means to believe those things. Unity means to 
spend the majority of our time celebrating those things. Unity means together acknowledging those things. Unity means recognizing that these truths are what bond us together instead of secondary things like preferences or class or ethnicity. Unity, unity means discussing these things and relearning these things, not moving on from these things, but realizing that these things are, 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 are the core of our life. Unity means looking at life through the lens of these things, through the truth of the church and truth of, uh, of who Jesus is and the spirit that he gave to us to live in this world. And so church, I, I have questions for us and questions that I ask myself. Have we drifted away from our first love? Or to use Paul's structure, have we forgotten the purpose of the church, which is to worship, grow, and reach the lost? Have we stopped trusting the Holy Spirit to teach us through God's word? Have we given up the hope that Jesus himself delivered us instead uh, are overcome by the same fear and anxiety of, of those who don't know Jesus? Church, have we left behind the gospel? Have we forgotten that Jesus Christ purchased our souls? Have we forgotten that we worship a risen Christ? Church, have we started reading the news more than we read God's word, which we know gives us faith and confidence? Church, have we forgotten our baptism, a.k.a. our symbol of allegiance to Jesus? And lastly, church, have we forgotten that our, our God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases? Have we bought into the lie that we need to control everything instead of relinquishing our control to our Heavenly Father? These are all relevant questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves because um, if those seven truths are the pillars upon which the church is built of those those truths are the 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 grounds upon which we unite then we have to continually put our place ourselves in a place where we are fixating our eyes on that and we have to live our lives through the, the lens of those truths and continue to come together as one so that that's just a, a shot at what unity is in verses four to six the second question I have for us is how do we pursue unity? And I think these are found in verses 1 to 3. If unity means to come together because of the seven truths I listed before, we must also look at how we come together as one. I love the way that Ephesians is structured. I think it's pretty cool. The first three chapters lay out major theological truths that we unite over. And I encourage you to read them over as they are powerful and enriching for us. But then when Paul gets to Ephesians chapters, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he, he kind of changes gears. After laying down a thick foundation, Paul shifts towards talking about how Christians ought to live and how we should treat one another. And so let's look at some of those ways that we should treat each other from uh, verses 1 to 3, and I'll just reread them for us. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so the first one that Paul is urging us to do is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And it is a really complicated way of saying something, but after teaching us about our calling in Christ in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, what he is saying is that we should walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel, to live in a way that Jesus deserves, to honor him with our lives. 
And so two questions here. Are we making decisions because we want to honor Jesus? And the second question is, because following Jesus is so costly, do we have confidence that Jesus will take care of us as we make decisions that we don't know the consequences of? I think those two questions can help us to understand if we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So that's the first one. The second one is Paul urges us to walk with all humility and gentleness. So the fact that Paul has to remind us to walk with humility and gentleness is proof that in our flesh, we are not inherently able to be humble or gentle. And has in the last 20 months proven this? The world seems like it is completely on fire and humility and gentleness is almost nowhere to be found. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It would appear that in order for us to be of one mind and one accord, we must pursue humility and gentleness. So how do we do that? How do we get on the same page? Well, let's look at humility first. We must remember that this is a hard time with many overwhelming factors. It's not just medicine. It's also relationships and politics. It's society. It's understanding how we relate to authority. It's differences in theology. And because there's so many factors, we as a church need wisdom. We as Christians need wisdom. We need to go slow. We need safe spaces to have conversations and to process decisions. And so my encouragement to you guys is humble yourselves, church. Don't assume that you have all the answers. Listen to perspectives. And don't assume if someone decides something different than you they, that they are deceived or that they're sinning, even though you might decide something else. Humility. We, ha we have to humble ourselves. Uh, there's no way for us to be united until we do that. The second thing for hum for for unity is uh, is gentleness. And so in a similar vein, we must remember that this is a tough season and that so many of us are battered and bruised and hurt. Everywhere we turn, people are being br absolutely brash and rough with each other. Lifelong relationships have been thrown in the garbage. The church needs to lead in this area. You know, when we look at our Lord Jesus, he, he was in a doormat. He recognized where his fight was and he invested in the right places. He invested in God's kingdom and trusted that his father would work out the details. But Jesus was a gentle man. I'm, I'm sure he was a gentleman too, but he was a man with gentleness. He was a man who was meek. And that doesn't mean he was quiet. And like I said, that doesn't mean he was a doormat. But Jesus was a man who understood when he had to speak up and when he would, uh, would would respond with questions or when he would respond with silence. Jesus did not waste words. Jesus did not respond uh, impulsively. Uh, if it was uh, 2021, I, I don't think Jesus would be on Facebook calling people names in the comment section or on YouTube calling people different names in the, in the comment section. When I look at the way our culture is set up and the way that we're behaving sometimes as a as a universal church it seems a lot of us are like the apostle peter pulling out our swords and chopping ears off 
church, we can't be like this. We have to be like Jesus instead, who instead of inflicting wounds, he healed them. Church, can we be a place where people can have heart conversations and then leave with love and respect for one another? You might be saying in your minds now, Jermaine, where does humility and gentleness take us? We still have all these hard decisions to make. Of course you do, as do I. And we want to be there for you and we want to be there for one another as we make those decisions. But church, how we get there is everything. Are we going to come through on the next end battered and bruised, missing people because we've broken relationships? Are we going to be a church that 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 breeds church hurt in the lives of people? Are we going to be the church that in 20 years somebody is going to be sharing uh, those deep wounds because we hurt them so deeply? Because we did not heed Paul's warning to pursue humility, to pursue gentleness? church we have to do better looking at the next one paul also urges us to be patient and to bear with one another in love and to be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace and so to close off the message today i want to leave us with five practical steps that we can take as a church five steps uh, to pursue uh, unity to maintain unity to maintain peace, to bear with one another in love, to be patient. The first one is, um, number one, ask the Spirit to give you eagerness to maintain unity. The truth is, is that we cannot maintain unity in our flesh. And so I encourage you today as a group to pray and ask that God would help you to see how you can practically love one another and ask Him to show you how you could be potentially causing division with your actions or your lack of actions we need the spirit's help to understand unity and to show us what it looks like and then to work hard to 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 fight for it because unity is a fight we can see that the world is ripping in half and division is the name of the game division is uh one of the uh um key uh tactics of our enemy he uh his, his goal is to divide and conquer. And so, church, I want you to see that Satan's one of Satan's main, main tactics is to, divide, is to divide and conquer. And we need to push back in the power of the Spirit and work for unity. I know that some of you might be hearing the word unity and think, and think wow, this is just like this pretty word. Or, uh, you know, maybe it's coming off. You may be saying, oh, he's sounding like a liberal or, or something like that. And I don't really care what you think, but uh, because the scriptures show us that unity, you look at the different words of Paul, the different words of Jesus, the different words of Peter, the vision of unity in the book of Revelation um, written by John, uh, even uh, our brother David in the Psalms, uh, men of God, women of God have, have, have shared a vision of unity uh, not just uh, weak um, um, emotional unity, but true fought for unity where we work together to to confirm uh, those primary pillars of the faith, where we bear with one another as we work out our views on secondary issues, and then as we move forward to pursue the mission. That That's what real unity looks like, and it's one that 
I'm praying for uh, as a church. And so I'd ask that you pray for the same thing. Number two, uh, to be patient and to bear with one another in love means to pursue reconciliation and restoration. So once again, much of Jesus, Peter, and Paul's writing takes into consideration that we will be prideful and rough with each other, that we will hurt each other. But the point of faith in Christ is not only that we would uh, we would bridle our, ourselves so that we don't hurt one another, but also that we pursue forgiveness when we do hurt one another. And in fact, much of what hurts people in the long run is not the pain that we inflict on one another, but the deeper pain that we inflict on one another when we don't work through our sins and we don't work through the ways that we've sinned against each other. And so I'm going to read two passages here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the love of God and peace will be with you. And so I have two questions for for all of us today. The first one is, have you pulled away from this church or someone in this church because someone sinned against you? If you are doing this, you are in essence responding to sin with even more sinning. And so my, uh, my encouragement to, to you is to repent of your lack of desire to maintain unity and go to your brother or sister who has sinned against you immediately and start the work of restoration. Start it right now. The second question is, have you knowingly sinned against someone and you're not taking responsibility? I would say the same thing to you. Repent of your lack of desire for reconciliation. Apologize. I don't just expect things to go back to normal it's going to take work to regain their trust and to rebuild your friendship this is what it means to be in the body of christ it's not only avoiding sin but handling sin when it does come up so that's number two number three are you using your spiritual gifts to serve one another in this local body ephesians 4 says that the spiritual gifts are given to equip the saints and so church if we are not united, it might be because we are not eagerly using our gifts. And so, individual, if if you are not using your gifts, I pray that you ask the Spirit to give you zeal to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that as a church, we are not structured like other churches. We, we don't have uh, teams and we don't have lots of opportunities to, you know, uh, lead worship and set up chairs and to, uh, you know, lead small groups or, um, you know, just the, the traditional serving uh, systems that other churches have. But I don't think the early church had that either. But the gifts were given to be used anyways. And so uh, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have opportunities to serve, uh, you maybe haven't recognized the opportunity, but the opportunity is there and you do not require programs to do that. And so ask the spirit to show you areas where you can serve, connect with one another, which is number four, which is to be together. And so I have so many times from 
through my messages, I encourage you guys to do this. Be together. Spend time together. I, I, I think I've almost come close to being a broken record. I think I've basically begged you guys to do this, and I'm going to do it again. How can we be united if we are not spending time together physically? I know that everyone is busy, but, you know, the problem is, is that we continue to use busyness as a way to not spend time with each other. Is it possible that we need to cut other things out of our lives in order for us to spend time with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? If you do not have any margin in your life left to serve one another, to spend time with one another, to sit, to eat, to, to, to be together, to talk, then there are things in your life that are taking away priority from your local church. And so be together. It is through coffees and meals and working together that we are able to point one another to primary issues. And it is through those spaces where we can also hash through those important secondary issues. And so, yes, as one of your pastors, you, you heard me clearly. I want you to spend time with one another and to talk about COVID, talk about politics, talk about those hard things. You can even be passionate. You can even raise your voice. But two things that I want to remind you of. Number one, be more, pa more passionate about Jesus and his kingdom and be more passionate about maintaining the bond of peace. You can be passionate about whatever God has put on your heart. But remember that Jesus' kingdom is significantly more important than anything else. And the way you talk to one another is significantly more than anything else. Apart from that, have those conversations. Work through those things. Um, the fact is, is that uh, we need wisdom. There is, in my generation, there's never been a time where we need wisdom. And the thing is, is that wisdom is not just something that we get directly from the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is also something that we get through one another through the Holy Spirit. And so if there was ever a time when we needed wisdom to make decisions, it's now, right, church? We need understanding so badly. And so Proverbs 15:22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors to succeed. And so I, I, I'm just going to say this, and it might sound blunt, but I'll, I'll say it anyways. If you have not sat down with other believers to sharpen your views, then you are not wise. You are the definition of someone who is foolish. You are the definition of somebody who is biblically foolish. Um, it is impossible to be wise alone. It is impossible to, to sit there separated from other believers and then call yourself wise it's impossible and so spend time with one another not just doing silliness not just doing what you think you want to do or what you should do but spend time seeking the lord together and so number five is lastly we must understand that our unity is our gospel witness for the mission and so if we go back to john 17 the high priestly prayer the reason why Jesus was praying that we may be one, if you keep reading, it says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so if you are not pursuing community, working through secondary issues, using your gifts, forgiving one another, practicing generosity and hospitality, coming to church on Sunday, you are damaging your witness. You're damaging it. You are cutting off your main evangelistic tool as a church. It is impossible to be united if you're not together. And so if you're not united with your local church family, then you have no witness. 
as a church, we have to remember our main mission is that of mission. Our, sorry, our main purpose is that of mission. We, as the United Church, as one body, is Christ's ambassador, a.k.a. The, his missionary sent to the world. Remember in John 13, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. My friends, we live in hard days. And no matter what happens, all we have at the end is one another and the witness we communicate by being together. You know, COVID cases may spike again. Lockdowns may come. Vaccine passport in less than two weeks. Our society may be greatly divided. Who knows? Vaccines may even start injuring people. We know fact for fact that many may lose their jobs, lose their home, lose their children, lose their lives. My question for us, Fellowship Oshawa, is are we going to be the church and are we going to be ready to be a safe space and even a hospital for a hurting world? Or will we be so busy fighting with one another or worse yet, avoiding one another that we relinquish our gospel witness? Church, let's pursue unity. It is vital. It is crucial. It is of utmost importance. And I pray that your time together as groups in house churches go well today. Amen.